Welcome to Lumina, a podcast from Afters, the Australian Film, Television and Radio School. Thank you so much. Um, can we can we just get you to list your projects for me? God, go just just <laughs> oh, like a little pick, kind of pick four. Pick four. Get track. <laughs> I'm talking to Natasha Pincus. Four children. All right, so... For years, uh, Natasha has been working her craft. My name's Natasha Pincus. I live in Melbourne, Australia, and I'm a filmmaker and screenwriter. I started off this crazy circus of a career as a short filmmaker, like most people. I uh, made a few shorts, went into international film festivals and got funding, etc., and then moved into music videos as a passion. The first music video I made was amazingly, luckily, for Paul Kelly, which was for a video called God Told Me To. After that, I started making music videos sort of on a bespoke basis, very hand-picked for various artists like uh, Sarah Blasco, oh, Powderfinger, Missy Higgins, and then the big one, Gautier, directing the video for somebody that I used to know, which has now had over a billion views on YouTube. And alongside that, it was developing my screenwriting craft. I've uh, written 21 feature films, some in America, some in Australia, won various awards and the film I wrote called Fell uh, premiered at Sydney Film Festival and Melbourne Film Festival in 2014. That's enough. Do you think you worked hard enough? Natasha has had a pretty long career. She's written and directed for film, made award-winning music videos. In fact, she won the ARIA for Best Video Clip two years in a row in 2011 and 2012. And then she started taking an interest in virtual reality. And I was approached by uh, Leo Faber and my friend uh, Sean Gladwell to be part of Bad Faith, which is a, a kind of collective we like to think of ourselves as kind of, the, I guess, the naughty kids of video art in uh, Australia. There's a bunch of us who are really just looking to bring what we've learned and what we've kind of loved and what we've maybe found limiting in uh, our respective video arts and see how they translate into VR projects. So it's pretty new, but uh, I'm learning very fast. Learning fast and adapting in an industry that's never stagnant, that's for sure. My name's Fenella Kernabone and you're listening to Lumina, a podcast about how tech innovations challenge and shape the way we share stories. In this episode, we are discussing coming back to craft. How do you maintain, grow and adapt your craft in an ever-changing landscape for storytellers? Whether you're working in VR or filming on an iPhone, you've got to be good. So here is how Natasha Pincus keeps her craft at the core of her practice. How do you define your craft? What is it for you? Hard. (laughs) Uh, Look, screenwriting is extraordinarily difficult. I started off in my post-high school years doing something totally different. I spent seven years at uni doing uh, molecular microbiology and law. So I studied academically pretty hard and pushed my brain to great lengths to ingest so much material. And I'd say screenwriting's way harder than either of those put together. It's just, it's exactly that because it is craft that's invisible. It's meant to look effortless and it's so hard. It's meant to look organic but it's completely manipulative it references everything you've seen before and understands that people are savvy with media and story throughout their lives but has to be entirely new but still current but also futuristic and future thinking and relevant so it's it's microscopically challenging and almost at times on borders to me on impossible like some sort of black art i don't know it's magic fairy dust stuff i don't know if often i understand how how it all comes together and then makes a movie it's just 
But, you know, I think there's just a perfect storm that can erupt and that that's what it felt like when the Gorgia video went bananas. It was just like, it was just like fun. It, it just really did feel like a free ride, like the once in a lifetime moment where someone puts you in first class <laughs> when you weren't meant to be and you just, you just want to drink all the champagne because it's never going to happen again. In his book Outliers, the journalist Malcolm Gladwell famously said it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert at a skill. Some psychologists dispute this claim, but Natasha thinks there's some truth to it. Well, I've written 21 feature films, and I'd say each time I still feel like a babe in the woods. So part of honing the craft is brutal, just hours. The 10,000 hours is a, a good idea, but it's pretty, pretty accurate. You know, it took that long to really feel like I was in control of what I was doing. But then every new project is brand new again. It's it's a major challenge of the arts, I think, to ever know when you've gotten anywhere because there's no destination. There's no career path. There's no course. And, of course, if you're an ambitious person, you're always shifting the goalposts anyway. So those things are a bit meaningless. And I, I do have a real trouble, I think, stopping and appreciating where I've come from and try to formulate a plot. I'm not very good with five-year plans. I don't really even have five-week plans. So it's hard for me to evaluate my progress towards I guess, any kind of goal, let alone how well I'm faring as a professional, uh, it's, it's, it's very tough. And, and, and like all artists, you have days when you're like, I'm a genius, this is amazing, and you look at your work and you're like, there's nothing better than this. And the next day, oh, I can't do this, it's impossible, I should do something else, I'm looking up jobs. Uh, and that, that, I, think, I think that dichotomy is important to keeping you fueled and hungry and you've just got to manage yourself and have good people around you to look after you when you're low and, and keep you low when you're high. <laughs> It's impressive the way that Natasha can move between her different skills, from doing music videos to screenwriting, directing. Her adaptability is deeply rooted in discipline. With her science and law background, she's methodical and approaches her craft with the ethic of a very hardworking lawyer. Discipline's crucial and it's interesting. It's actually a mixture between discipline and um, like a work ethic, but it's also, to me, one of the things I've actually battled with is is being allowed to work to the level that I want to work. Now, it sort of sounds a bit strange, but like, for example, I mentioned that I was, you know, in the, in the law industry before, and that's, you know, full of type A personalities who understand what a long workday looks like and how, what your standards should be. And one thing I found challenging as a screenwriter has been, yeah, in the law industry, the type A personality it means that you generally have an expectation of work standard, work ethic, which is very high, and the people around you adopt that and it's just part of the industry itself. And while a lot of filmmakers do work hard and I don't reduce that, it's there is this sort of that'll do thing which sometimes creeps in that I can't stand. And what I find really hard is just actually being allowed to to have the kind of discipline that I've kind of adopted through my previous work lives. In America, you have no problem. They work like crazy. But here, it's a little bit like, oh, yeah, that, let me look at your first draft. It'll be okay or whatever. And it's just, no, that's not, not really how I like to work. Natasha believes in the power of a good routine. In terms of the workday, there's never a typical one. So when I'm deep in a script, my day, you know, it's pretty much devoted to my writing. And I always quarantine the mornings because you can always get messed around with in the afternoon. So I make sure I've got at least four hours of deep work before lunch, which I've done, and then the afternoon can change. But uh, when I'm doing a rewrite or when I'm doing kind of a polish, then, yeah, I find it really hard to do other stuff. I just get really absorbed and I get a little bit, a bit of a textbook sort of weird sort of crazy person. I mean, I always say that if I was a bloke, I'd have like a really long beard by the end of a a project and I'd be stroking it meaningfully a lot. (laughs) But it is a bit, it's a bit manic. It's a little bit, you know, on off and then you're kind of in your down season and your downtime and 
then you're doing other things. You're doing meetings, you're doing research, you're pitching and all that other stuff that comes. And most of screenwriting and filmmaking, unfortunately, has to do with all the accessories and the trappings of the industry rather than the work itself, which, which is something I find really difficult to tolerate. Natasha works with Bad Faith. They're an indie content collective making loads of VR art. And she acknowledges that the medium is in its infancy. They're still figuring out how their traditional filmmaking skills can be adapted for virtual reality. I actually think the um, directing for VR is probably going to be more like directing theatre in that your concepts of blocking actors and uh, reveals and so on are much more reliant on those sort of old school kind of techniques and mechanisms than, say, music video. Well, music video, for me at least, has been two different types in the extreme. One is generally where you have more of a spray and pray approach where you get a lot of stuff and then you build it in the edit. And then you've got much precision ones like, say, the Gautier video, which is pre-planned to within an inch of itself and you're literally kind of just executing a plan. Neither of those approaches really feel VR-like to me because in VR, you know, you're using the your sleight of hand, you're sort of saying to the audience, oh, look over here, but then you're making something happen behind them they're not expecting or you're positioning actors in the round. That definitely gives a different feeling to what you would normally do with, with film. And the truth is I'm still learning and I found the biggest challenge of this project and any project I would do with VR is that, like, I like to know every single bit about the possibilities of a medium and that, then I can really exploit them. And here I'm just no idea. Like, I just I find it really hard to innovate and create and imagine because I just don't really understand uh, enough about how it works and I can't edit the thing myself and all that sort of stuff. So it's a little bit frustrating at this point. I don't really feel kind of intuitively connected to it yet and I don't like watching it too much. So <laughs> that means I don't spend too much time learning. So I don't really know what I'm going to do with it. I, don't, I think I'm more curious than passionate right now. What is the value of, I mean, you're talking about how you, you couldn't do the editing yourself just then and it had to go to somebody else. So it's, there's almost like there's less of your own humanity in it, even though it was your idea. What's the value of honing your craft when tech can do more and more? Yeah, I think that there's a danger of tech doing more and more. I think people, it can be a little bit of a false promise because it makes you feel like, oh, I can just go out there and shoot it myself. The danger is that sometimes that means that the necessary steps that people take, precautions they take, development of their craft that they might take because it's expensive are abandoned. And I think those things still need to have their place. I mean, we still need to think about what we're shooting, not just shoot for the sake of it. So I think as long as you have really important practices and and disciplines around around the why you're telling what you're telling and and how are you going to do it before you turn the camera on, don't just get too kind of excited by the fact that you can, you know, make a film like Tangerine on your phone. And again, like like the Gautier video, which looks so simple. I mean, the greatest films that use the cheapest technologies, they are often the ones that that did the most pre production and didn't use the technology to you know to that advantage. They just happened to have that technology at their disposal, like Tangerine and the Florida Project. Those cheap films. They were cheap and they benefited from the technology, but the filmmaking approach was no different than if it was a $10 million plus film. So that's, I think, the, the lesson to take from, from the advent of technology. I'm sounding old now, but, like, especially in youth, there's always this ideal of, you know, I'm going to break all the rules or we don't need that anymore or just, you know, the old people have always done it this way. And I think that the, that's a healthy kind of attitude to explore, but at the same time understanding. I mean, film is so young. It is 100 years old. You know, the medium is is really a baby, but at the same time, it's, it's a lot older. It's like 20 years older now than when I first started making them. So, And I think it's like worth accepting that it, we now have a few generations to learn from and to understand mistakes and lessons of the past and to take them on rather than just blindly going in and saying, let's change it up and let's make movies 
way shorter, way longer, this tool, that tool, whatever, I think I think we can really understand that there are some things to keep and to and to continue taking through to the next generations. Okay, so for people who are honing their craft, still getting it together, what what's your advice about that moment for you? Your advice to honing your craft? The how-to guide? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I think first thing you have to do is realise like your expectations, get them really straight because I think there can be this classic thing of, I finished my draft, I'm ready to film, or I'm a director, I can't afford to pay a writer, I'm just going to write it myself. Really understanding how hard, how long and how good it needs to be is really important. So in honing your craft, just take your time, be patient, keep working and work hard. Is It sounds really obvious, but it's just no one realises how hard it is until you've really realised how hard it is. Learn from a variety of sources. So uh, that means to me, I listen to podcasts. I still read the books. I, I'm going to the screenwriting conference in America. Uh, I just consume. Read as many scripts as you can and read and watch, like read a script and watch the film and not necessarily the film first. I can read the script then, watch the film and understand how the translation kind of happened. And only do all those things if you love it. I guess what happens to some people is they invest two or three or four years and then they go, oh, this isn't really for me. And they just keep doing it and they feel trapped. I get quite a few emails from people like that. And I kind of feel like saying, uh, just don't keep going if you don't love it because it gets harder, not easier. And like I was happy to leave law and science and I have no regrets because what I learned there, I've taken into the next stage of my life. And if people leave the film industry after a few years, they'll take what they learned there into whatever they do next. So just know that you can get off at any point and you can always come back if you change your mind later. And that can be good for you as an artist to get new life experiences that are varied and unexpected. It comes down to getting out of your comfort zone and treating your craft like an ongoing journey. You know, you learn from your mistakes, you practice, you might try a genre, for example, that you have no interest in in making the film of or even watching as a, as a spectator, but you just want to give it a crack and sort of see how thrillers work and write one from the inside and learn it that way mechanically. And then after a while you sort of, I feel like you exhaust all of the kind of education you can really muster on your own and then you go and, and seek help elsewhere. So it's just about appreciating that education is lifelong and various and sourced all over the place and you have to be honest with yourself when you're kind of maxing out and you need you need to kind of you know it's like it's like exercise I feel it's very much like athletics so you've got to know when you just go through the motions of the gym and when to start kind of challenging yourself again. So the point is it's still hard to get projects off the ground it's still a rough and tumble world to secure funding and yes audiences are still a fickle bunch all the technology in the world doesn't make a jot of difference if you haven't got an idea, the focus or the discipline, like Natasha. Again, it comes back to craft. And yes, like most things, we just have to do the work. You have been listening to Lumina, a podcast from Afters, Australia's national screen and broadcast school, dedicated to finding, developing and supporting Australian storytelling talents. Lumina is produced for Afters by Audiocraft with Selena Shannon and Jess O'Callaghan. Our sound engineer is Ryan Pemberton and our executive producer is Kate Montague. My name is Fenella Kernerbone and if you'd like to hear more of these episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. You have been listening to Lumina, a podcast from Afters. 
the Australian Film, Television and Radio School, Australia's national screen and broadcast school, dedicated to finding, developing and supporting Australian storytelling talent. Lumina is produced for afters by Audiocraft. Thank you.